0: morning, Revelation Church. Uh, We are once again um, in the church building at night. Uh, It's Thursday. (laughs) Uh, and, uh, we, we weren't here last week because the governor said that we all had to stay home. But a couple of days after he recorded, he said that churches could get together in small groups to record content for their congregations. So we're taking advantage of that. We're still social distancing. We've got a pew between us. Um, but Spencer and I are here to talk through the last piece of our seven blessings in the Book of Revelation series. So it's the sixth Sunday of Lent. Uh, That means that Lent is over soon. How's how's Lent treating you, Spencer? (laughs) I am looking forward to it being
1: over. There were unforeseen circumstances before I signed
0: up for Lent. I feel like everybody is experiencing Lent, whether they want to or not. And it's not really going to end at Easter. It's going to (laughs) continue. My Lent will end, Zach. (laughs) Fair enough. Uh, So, yeah, we are in Revelation this morning. Revelation chapter 22, the very last chapter of the Bible, right before the concordance and the maps. Um, And we are going to take a look at... Verse 14 and 15. So I'm going to read that real quick. Uh, This is Jesus speaking. And he says, Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Uh, So let's, uh, let's pray real quick. God, thanks for a chance to um, open your word. God, as the the community that we call Revelation Church meets uh, from house to house and interacts uh, with this online, God, I just pray that your spirit would be in our midst. Um, You are bigger than the distancing that we are uh, participating in right now. You are bigger than this pandemic that is overrunning the planet. Uh, and I just pray for your peace, for your joy, for just supernatural love for our neighbors in this time of of fear and and worry. God, help us to be people that are generous and kind uh, and um, self controlled. Uh, Lord, I just pray that as we uh, open this last blessing in the Book of Revelation, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would encourage us, that you would exhort us, uh, that you would rebuke us if that's what we need, um, but that in all of this, uh, your word would be used to draw us near to you. I just pray that in in Jesus' name. Amen. Joanna and I watched Groundhog Day the other night. Um, Classic. Classic. Bill Murray finds himself, if you don't know... Uh, <laughs> Bill Murray is a weatherman. He's kind of a jerk. He goes to Puxitani, uh Pennsylvania for Groundhog's Day, their, for their festival. And he goes through the day, it's a terrible day. He's a terrible person. And then he wakes up the next morning and it's the same day. And it's the same day over and over and over and over again. And he's stuck in this like time loop. The first thing he does, cause he's a terrible person is he gets, he just figures out how to use this to his advantage. He, um, you know, he seduces women, he steals money. He does all of these terrible things. But then once he kind of exhausts that, he goes to two different places that I think are really interesting. Uh, the first thing he does is he goes to despair. He decides that he's never getting out of this set of circumstances. And so he, he steals a truck and he drives it off a cliff Uh, He jumps off a building, he steps in front of a garbage truck, he puts a toaster in a bathtub, uh, and he he just tries to end his life because the monotony of the routine of this single day is too much for him. But then the next thing that he does, and this is kind of the turning point in the movie, is he decides to better himself through this. And so the one thing that I had forgotten about this movie is he starts taking piano lessons. You remember this part? I Okay. So he goes to this piano teacher who's in the middle of a lesson and he gives her like a thousand dollars or something. And she kicks this girl out of her house and she gives him a 30 minute piano lesson. And he says, I've never had a piano lesson. And they start and it's like, you know, going up a scale or whatever. And the next day he does the same thing. And, and it, you know, um, compresses the story. But at the end, he's like this fantastic piano player because he spent day after day after day after day in all of this monotony studying the piano. I really think this is interesting and I want to get back to it after we get through our text, But, but he has the choice to let just the grind of his life lead him to despair or to lead him to slowly mature through it pause on that. (laughs) Let's go to the text. Put a pin in that. Yeah, that's right. So Jesus says, remember there's seven blessings in the book of Revelation. John is using highly symbolic language in this book. So seven is a very important number. He's, this is not an accident that that seven times we read blessed. Oh, how happy is the person. And he says, blessed are those who wash their robes. And this is uh, an image that has come up. Once before in the book, uh, in Revelation 7, uh, verse 14, um, let's see, in 13, one of the elders asked me, John, who are these people in white robes and where did they come from? I said to him, sir, you know. Then he told me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. So there's this image in this book of the saints dressed in white and white is this symbol of righteousness, of holiness, of, of being made right with God. The way their robes have been made white is they've been washed in the blood of the lamb. And in chapter seven, this is a past tense fact. They've come out of the tribulation. Their robes have been washed, right? In Revelation 22, Jesus says, blessed are those who wash their robes, and it's a present tense action. It's something that is continually happening right now. There's these two big theological words that we talk about, justification and sanctification, right? Like justification is this idea that, that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. And Easter is next week, the, the day that we celebrate the actual historical reality that this took place. Like Jesus of Nazareth was crucified by the Romans at the insistence of the Jewish leadership uh, 2,000 years ago. Um, this actually happened, Three days later, he rose from the dead. And this is the foundation of our faith. And so Jesus died on the cross. He took our sin on himself, paid for it, a, a, a penalty that we couldn't pay, right? And then he conquered death by rising from the dead. And that's happened. And, by, and, and, and Paul says in Ephesians, by, by grace, through faith, you've been saved. It's our responsibility is just to believe, to trust in Christ for our salvation, and so that's justification. That's already happened. But then there's this idea um, that we talk about called sanctification, which which you could say is um, being made holy. And that's something that's ongoing, right? Like we, we get saved. And um, I used to work for the Salvation Army. And, and they've got these stories. And they're, they're awesome stories that usually involve alcoholism, where somebody becomes a Christian and all of a sudden they, they don't want alcohol anymore. They're, they're freed from that addiction. And that's, that's beautiful. And that's awesome. But that doesn't always happen that way. Right. And even, even then, they've got a whole mess of other stuff that they have to deal with, right? And because most of the time, our, our journey as Christians is one of just this incremental moving forward, becoming more and more like Jesus. And that's why I think this is really interesting in Revelation 22, is that Jesus says, blessed are those that wash their robes. Like This, this process of washing our robes is the symbol that he uses for this daily Uh, step-by-step walk towards Christ-likeness. We are doing that because, again, our robes are washed in the blood of the Lamb. Jesus is the effective reality that makes that happen for us. But we are, we're still in process. Yeah, just as I've been thinking about this text for the past couple
1: days, you know, um, do I take the time to do my spiritual laundry You know, do I take the time to actually wash myself in the blood of Christ? Um, You know, we, for a while, were able to do that um, in, in the sense of communion and just gathering on Sundays and having that reflection time. But now, even though it's just been a few weeks where that's not part of the rhythm, you know, it's hard to like fit that in, remind
0: yourself to create space for that in. Your schedule. One of the things that's interesting about that is when you talk about what it means to pursue Christ, to pursue sanctification, uh, just the rhythm, our natural rhythms of communion and worship and reflection, and and then um, just the day to day of that. It seems kind of counterintuitive. Like if if somebody said, "I I'm I want you to make." over the course of your life, giant strides in your character. I want you to, I want to take you, I want you to become a completely different person than you started out being. I would naturally assume that there's going to be some pretty large um, things that have to happen there. And, but the reality is it's this day by day, moment by moment, like um, develop a prayer life and read your Bible and, take communion seriously and gather with the saints. And and I want to just be like, no, but really, like what's the secret to holiness? Like, no, that's it. Like that's all there is. That's that's what Jesus has implemented for us. And, And the image is right in line with that because you've got a white robe and you're going to dip it in blood to clean it. And, and you just think, like, that doesn't make any sense. Like, why, why is that the imagery? And it's because walking with Christ is counterintuitive. I wrote down Matthew 20, and this is a, I think it's a pretty familiar passage. Um, Jesus says in Matthew 20, 25, he calls the disciples over and says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those in high positions act as tyrants over them. It must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And in Jesus' discussion of what power looks like in the kingdom of God, it's completely upside down. And I think, I think that's just one area where everything about following Christ is counterintuitive. It, it seems like, you know, if you want to be wealthy, you should hoard your resources. And Jesus says, no, you should figure out how to give as much of it away as you can. If you want to be powerful, you should climb the corporate ladder and, and use people and and um, stand on, you know, stand on the backs of others and, and push them down. And Jesus says, no, you should probably get as low as you possibly can and become the servant of everyone. And I think our following Christ illustrates just these, Everyday, ordinary uh, rhythms and rituals that, if we take them seriously, are going to shape us into people that look like Jesus. And it just seems like there should be something bigger or better or different. And surely it can't just be these things. And I think most of the time it is. And that's why we have
1: this weird feeling as we walk with Jesus, like, how come I'm not getting... Better? How come I don't feel holy? How come I don't feel like um, my life is becoming more and more in line with that of Christ's? But uh, I, I think that you know this passage uh, illustrates that picture of like it's constantly pointing us back to his sacrifice, back to the fact that we are um, in need of his sacrifice on a day by day basis. Uh, I went for a run the other day and I came home, and my son looked at me. He's like, "Dad, you smell bad." And you know, just this idea of like when we do exercise, when we go out and you know work out and um, walk through the spiritual disciplines, the things that will um, draw us closer to Jesus. Like, there's still that doesn't take away the fact that we need to do our laundry. That doesn't take away of the fact that we have to. Um, You know, repent and ask for um, that nearness and that closeness and that forgiveness of just being in tune with
0: the Spirit. Yeah, that's good. So then, those that wash their robes are blessed. And then Jesus says why they're blessed. And he says, so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter the city by the gates. And there's two metaphors there that both talk about entrance into the kingdom of God. The tree of life comes up earlier in this chapter that it's inside the city of God. And it's more famously um, in uh, Genesis 1 and Two and three, the tree of life is this source of god 's life that humanity eats from and gains life from it 's a, it's a picture of how our life is contingent upon god 's life. I used to read Genesis and how in the story of, of, of Genesis three, Adam and Eve are they sin and they 're kicked out of the garden so that they don 't eat from the tree of life. and I always used to think like why didn 't they eat from the tree of Life at the very beginning and then just live forever. And I've, I've come to think that what's really going on in that story is that the tree of life wasn't just like a one time when I eat this, I get to live forever. It was, it was a constant, um, feasting on the tree of life is what gave them eternal life. And, and, and as you look through scripture, that seems to bear out that our life comes to us from God and in the absence of his presence, we don't have life in and of ourselves and we die. And so those who have washed their robes, those who have followed Jesus, those who have been um, um, rescued by him, have access to the tree of life. So so our life as Christians is um, everlasting because we have access to God. And then the second thing that he says is that they may enter the city by the gates Um, The city is talked about in the previous chapter, Revelation 21, uh, starting in verse 23, says, The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it because the glory of God illuminates it and its lamp is the lamb. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never close by day because it will never be night there and they will bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. Nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor any anyone who does what is detestable or false but only those written in the lamb's book of life this idea of the kingdom of god represented as a city uh, of which followers of christ are citizens Right. Where the if you are a Christian, if you are um, one that belongs to Jesus, if you are adopted in the family of God, there's dozens of metaphors in Scripture that talk about um, who we are in Christ. But you are a citizen of this city, the, the new Jerusalem. And, it, and you get to be a part of the, the community life of the city. You don't just get access to the tree of life, which is everlasting life from God. You also participate in the community together with the rest of the family. The original audience that was, would read this would know a lot about cities with gates. We don't have, we don't have a lot of gated cities in, in a real military sense anymore. We don't, we don't wall our cities to protect ourselves from invading armies, but they would have. And there would have been a wall. It talks about, John talks about the wall earlier on. It's a very big wall. It's an, an impenetrable wall. And there's these gates and the gates would be where people could go in and out. In chapter 21, the gates never close. So the gates are always open to the people of God to come in. And the people that are, um, who have washed their robes, they have access through the gates. There is one way to get into the presence of God. And there's no like back door, there's no service entrance, there's no like dig under the moat, like there's just no way into the city except through the gate, except for the way that God has prescribed. And that's where we get into this idea that like Christianity is incredibly inclusive. All of the nations of the earth will come to um, participate in the kingdom of God. Like there's no like There's no racial or gender or or there's no no like uh, social class that isn't allowed. But it's exclusive in that there's there's only one way in. Like if you want in, you have to go through Jesus. I was thinking about this the other day, how you
1: just said, you know, Christianity is very inclusive, but it's also very exclusive. There are many people that have either um, had no engagement are part of Christianity. Some people who grew up with Christianity are some people that were involved in Christianity and now have rejected it. Um, But that's one of the biggest hangups they have is this exclusivity of, you know, because they do see the hypocrisy in the church, but it's the exclusivity isn't, oh, we're holy and you're not. It's that there's one holy person and he died for us. There needs to be a standard Uh, Fortunately, that standard isn't based on works. That standard isn't, you know, there's not a, um, it's not like a job interview. With Christianity, it's not like you need to meet a certain checklist. But do you recognize that you're not uh, able to achieve holiness? You're not able to um, work your way into heaven that salvation is not anything that you produce anything that you bring
0: to the table but everything that Jesus has already done the important thing is is that there there isn't a category of people that want to be in the city but are not allowed right the only category is that people do not want it like if you do not want Christ you get what you want you don't get Christ and ultimately like that's that's where it's so heartbreaking to think about men and women, friends of mine who do not know Jesus, is that they, they aren't being kept out of the kingdom. They just, they don't want it. And, and when we read in Revelation that, that those that have washed their robes, they have access to the kingdom of God. They have access to the city through the gates. The gates are wide open. Everybody can get into the gates. But if you don't go through the gates, you can't get in. And that's your choice. And that's what's, I think that's what's important for anyone that, and and I don't know who's watching, but ultimately Jesus is offering you a kind of life that you cannot get on your own. But if you don't want it, then you don't want it. Right. Uh, C.S. Lewis in The Great Divorce plays that thought out.
1: You know, um, people that are in hell are brought to heaven and given another chance to stay there and they don't. You know, just, no, I don't want to be here. And that idea of, you know, even in the tail end of uh, verse 15, uh, those outside are the ones that love and practice falsehood. Right. Their love isn't for Jesus, for his kingdom, for his people. It is for their own pleasures.
0: Yeah. So before we get to 15, though, the one that has the right to the tree of life, Jesus is the tree of life. Like ultimately the life that comes from God goes through Jesus. Jesus in John 15, he says that he is the vine and we are the branches. And, and to be connected to the vine is to have life. Jesus is also the gate. John 10, Jesus says that he is the gate for his sheep and you go in through the gate. And if you don't go in through the gate, you're a, you're a robber. You're trying to sneak over the wall, right? The only way to God is through him. Like that shouldn't be offensive. right? It's good news. Like the you know, we all of this uh, COVID nineteen stuff is happening right now, and if Dr. Fauci gets on the airwaves tomorrow and says we we found this thing, you just you, you, it's a pill, you take one, and then you don't get the virus. Nobody's like, well, that's dumb. Right, there's there's, a, only, one there's only one kind of pill. Get back to work. Figure it out. I want ten. You know, like no, give me the pill, right? Like, and 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 that's that's the the hope of the gospel is that Jesus has all everything about your life is totally screwed up. And you know it, I mean, even the good things are screwed up. I have a better way. And I'm the only one that has it because I am the source of life. And if you come to me, if you go through me as the gate, you get that life. And that's, that's a beautiful uh, message of hope. But yeah, then we get to verse 15. Uh, Outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. And Jesus is speaking, and again, not to get too like Greek grammar geek today, but he's speaking in the present tense. He's not talking about something out there. He's talking about right now. He's writing this, he's he's having John write this letter to the seven churches in Asia and he's writing to them right now. And he says, outside right now are these people. And in a really real sense, because again, like the gates never close. The gates in the future, in that future city, the gates are always open and anybody can come in. Right now, those that reject Christ are rejecting him currently. They're not, they're not rejecting him on that future day. They're rejecting him right now. This is a present warning for everyone who is not um, receiving the blessing of having washed their robes. I mean, it feels a little derogatory, honestly, outside of the dogs. Jesus is talking about his enemies, right? Like he's talking, he's not talking about people that are innocent bystanders. He's not talking about people that are... Um, you know, they would trust in him, but they can't for some reason. He's talking about people that are choosing to thumb their nose at God, are choosing in, in the face of an offer to enter the kingdom, to taste of the tree of life, to enter by the gates are saying, no, I don't want that. I want to find power through some other way. That's sorcery. I want to um, use my body in a way that you haven't designed me to, God. I want to kill people. I want to murder your image bearers. I want to give worship to false gods that don't deserve it and absorb my life into the idea of falsehood, love and practice lies and falsehood. And it's interesting that like these categories come up fairly often in Scripture um, Paul says this in in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 In verse 9, he says, Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? This is exactly what John's talking about. Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, or males who have sex with males. No thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. And some of you used to be like this, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Like Paul is saying the exact same things here, that people whose lives have been characterized by not just haphazardly wandering away from the truth, but actively seeking after things that are destructive, have been saved, Paul says have been washed. John, Jesus says you've been washed and have been changed and are no longer these kind of people, but they are alive in Christ. And then, and so Jesus is giving this, this gift. He's, you know, blessed. Oh, how happy is the one who, who becomes a whole new kind of person that's not defined by these sorts of behaviors, these sorts of lifestyles, these sorts of things. And this is all encapsulated in this idea of, of, of washing your robes in the blood of the lamb, being made new, giving access, being given access to the tree of life and um, entering the city. It's a Beautiful offer of good news, and it's a sobering warning that there are real consequences if you don't. If you don't want to go into the city, you don't have to. But there's nothing outside the city that's worth holding on to. That brings me back to Groundhog Day. I knew it was coming. (laughs) I thought you did. Life is is typically boring and redundant there's no real great leaps forward. Typically. I mean, there are occasions I can look back on my life and go like, yeah, there was this one time that God did this thing and it was amazing. But most of my journey to the kingdom of God, as this metaphor in revelation holds it up, is very slow. I get up, I have routines, I have rituals. Uh, Some of them are just, you know, things that you do, you brush your teeth, you make your coffee, you know, that, that you just do those things. But then some are, are spiritual rituals, spiritual habits, uh, a life of prayer, a life of studying the word, a life of community of God's people. And I think this, this stay at home order that we're experiencing is, is a real like distilled and potent version of that. I, I think it's been useful for me to like feel that more uh, strongly than I normally would. Does that drive us to insanity <laughs> or does it actually move us in the direction of Jesus? And I think the Groundhog Day metaphor is, is helpful because nothing changed about his circumstances. He, he just, he had a different outlook about them. Is, is he going to see this, this is what my life looks like, I just can't handle it. Or is he going to see this is what my life looks like, I'm going to make the best of it. I'm going to pursue something that's worthwhile. When Jesus says, oh, how happy are those who wash their robes in the present tense, who are participating in this continual journey towards the tree of life and the city of God. He's pointing out the fact that this everyday progression is worthwhile because there is a direction to it. Um, even if it doesn't feel like it. I mean, I know we've talked like, you can look back 10 years on your walk with God and be like, oh, I was way back here, and now I'm here, and it's amazing how far I've come, but you never feel that way in the moment. And I think one of the blessings of um, the situation we're in now is how highlighted that is for everybody. When things are
1: quiet, that's when we notice everything that's happening in our heart, everything maybe that God wants to do in our heart or wants to um, remove from our daily rhythms and just make more room for quiet time with Him.
0: Just to, to, to wrap it all together, those daily rhythms, that quiet, that, that, that slowing down, if God is doing something in the church, and I think He is, I'm, I, I think He is teaching us something in this, I think one of the things he's teaching us is that we need to slow down. Um, One of the things that I hope we gain from this is I hope we slow down. I hope we, I hope we look at what the culture has said our pace should be. And we go like, no, I don't think it does need to be that anymore. I think we can be different kind of people. So God has created this for this moment because we need it and we need it because For some reason, it is what is going to make us more like Jesus. The the slowing down, staying at home, the trusting in him when finances are up in the air, when health is up in the air, this moment is an opportunity and it's a counterintuitive opportunity, right? God wants these things for you and the way to get them is through testing and trial. And, And it's like, well, no, no. How else can we get them? Well, like there is no other way. Well, that doesn't make any sense. There must be an easier way. Like there's not, trust me. And Jesus is saying this, right? Like this is how you become Christ-like. And <laughs> he demonstrates this through his own death and resurrection. He, he goes to his grave to fulfill his mission to save us. And then we go like, yeah, but I don't want to do that. I want an easier way, right? And so in this very small, <laughs> very much easier moment than uh, Jesus' crucifixion, we are being asked to step back, to slow down, to sacrifice. And he's saying, this is because I'm going to get you to the city. I'm going to get you to the tree. And this is how I'm going to do it. And I want us to be people that go like, okay. Right.
1: If we truly believe God is sovereign and that those, our circumstances don't thwart that at all
0: yeah i just I just hope that as as we um, we still can't gather and we probably won't be able to gather in large groups for uh, well at least another month um, maybe more uh, that that you're all making time taking opportunity to uh, connect in different ways um, i know i've I've talked with a lot of people this week that have zoom fatigue <laughs> that and I think there's a um I think I've been thinking about it. There's a real difference between like getting together in a living room and getting together on a screen. And even even though like we want it to be okay, like community group is meeting together on my laptop, it's just not the same thing. So I feel that, but I would also encourage everyone to make use of uh, the ways your community groups are connecting, um, to text each other, to call each other. Use the tools that we've been given and listen to the Spirit of God. Take the time in the quiet to hear what Jesus wants you to be doing. If it's, if it's fear, if it's hoarding, <laughs> if it's um, anxiety, that's not the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is provoking us to love provoking us to generosity, uh, provoking us to step out, not foolishly, with vision to the future, to love people. Um, And I I believe that that God is going to give us those opportunities as the days unfold uh, because God is doing something in the midst of it. And and I think it's going to be exciting to reminisce when this is over about what he did. Um, So God bless everybody. uh, And we'll talk to you soon.